you can turn to Matthew 24, and you know what we have are facing, what we have faced, and as they say, we ain't seen nothing yet. So, what are we to do as individuals? Now, we have to keep in mind, first of all, why are we here? God called us, right? He opened our mind. He made it possible for us to see things that we did not see before. And that's why we're here. And we, but what happened? We became convicted. We became convicted until we entered into covenant with him. And that's why we're still here. All right? Well, with that in mind, it can be discouraging if we focus too much upon what is happening. Because from a human standpoint, in our lifetime, things are coming at us in an unparalleled way. Unparalleled. Now, as far as history, all the way back before the flood, don't know if we've passed what they were back then. But we're, we're approaching it. Why? Well, we're going to see that right now in Matthew 24, just briefly. And, of course, God apparently built into us, as human beings, the desire to see the future. How does this start here in Matthew 24? The disciples were with him near the temple. And Christ had said a few things. And, they, and then they said, well, tell us. Tell us, what is coming? What is that future? Now, you have to keep in mind that they had in their mind at that time, and for some time after that, they still had in their mind that Christ was going to return in their lifetime, in that first century. And then they had to learn, no, it just isn't going to happen. But in any case... That's how they felt. Well, what did Christ say? Verse 4, he answered them and said, Be on guard. Well, if we're to be on guard, what does that mean? It means that there is something we need to be aware of because something big is going to happen. Well, something big is an understatement because it is going to happen. All of the prophets talk about it, and they tell us something big is coming. Well, if you're to be on guard, what are you to do? You're to try and be as prepared as you can. Now, we are, we are in an absolutely different situation than the people around us in the world because God has opened our mind. He's opened our mind, and so we believe. We believe in all that that word means in the Greek. And we're focused on God and trying to obey him. And we do, except we stumble. So we repent and go on in faith. So we walk in faith. And we know we must trust God for those things that we're seeing now. Because there's no way we're going to be able to stop anything that's taking place. We just can't do it. So we do the best we can, trusting God to guide us through the cones, as I like to say it, or the stakes for the slalom course down the mountain. 
And I've tried those, and they're a little tough. Well, it's a little tough for us now in the things we face. But anyway, we are to be on guard. And he goes on down in verse 12, and he says, Because lawlessness shall be multiplied. Have we already seen that? Well, absolutely. As I said, it is unparalleled in our time. And so with the lawlessness, many things happen. And for us, as little ones that must endure to the end, not just get over whatever number of years in the past, but what we're still facing, then if we're to be on guard, then what do we have to do? We have to be drawing closer to God. And that's what it's all about. Verse 36, but concerning that day, in other words, they had asked about things leading up to that day. Concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, this is Christ speaking. 37, but as it was in the days of Noah, you know, we always wonder, we always have since we came to understand things of God's plan. Just how was that? Well, it explains a little bit right here. And if you turn back to Genesis, I think chapter 6, it says a little bit more. They were simply living life, just like people now. We look at people around us going around with their masks on, in fear, wanting to get off the sidewalk when you come by. Now, that's, that's less than some. But it, oh, it was there a big time, very recent. They're in fear. Why? Because they do not understand what we do. So we don't have to live in that fear. But we call them delusional. Well, are, well, they are. They are delusional. But they, it's not entirely their fault. They are blinded from the truth. And yet we can see. And so we overreact, I'm sure, toward them. Because they can't see. And God knows that. And it's all built into his plan, you see. He will have mercy on them. And that's the good thing. That is the good thing. Anyway, we have to be aware. We have to watch and prepare the best we can, trusting God. And the main thing is, probably down to verse 46, where he says, when he comes, he says, blessed is that servant, when his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Now, what does so doing imply? We are in covenant with God. He called us open our mind, and we responded, and what did we do? We were baptized into covenant with him and Christ, and we pledged to seek his way rather than our own way, which the world is seeking, until death, and literally until death. Or some people will be in the same condition right at the end, okay? And to them, that's going to be fantastic. I mean, can you imagine? In a moment, 
in the twinkling of the eye to go from what you are and have been all your life to a son of God. That that is uh, it's hard to comprehend. Well, let's turn to Second Peter because I want to get into this. I really get so much out of what Peter said and the passion in which he said it. And and Paul, and they mirror each other a lot. If you really, and we're going to find that out here. But in Second Peter, in the first chapter, what does it say? And we get a we get a hint of it right here in the beginning. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. They they did not ever apologize for that or try to hide in any way. They had been given authority by Christ. They had spent three years with him, learning, being led through the things, preparing them for their job that they did when this was all recorded. Now, it was recorded in heaven before it, we ever received it in print. But they spoke as they, uh, Peter himself right here. He, he talks about that. Everybody that wrote this down was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and that's why we can rely on it as the very Word of God. It came as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. To those who have obtained the same precious faith, and it is a precious faith, brother, because when you are fully convicted, you become committed to your covenant, and then it becomes precious. Because what? Well, what we're going to see and read right now and a little later. The precious promises that God has given to us because of that. He says, grace and peace. Isn't that what all mankind wants? Grace and peace. Well, yes, they do. They just don't know how to find true peace. And they're blocked from it by the blindness. They try to do things their own way. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And that, you see, is where true peace comes from. Only in the knowledge of the truth of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Can we? No, we can't. But can we try to understand what that means? We have been given what we need to go forward and prove to God we're faithful. We don't need to know every new thing that comes along or ideas of men and what they think may be what we need to know. We have it here in the Word of God. And it says, all things. That's all things for salvation. We definitely do not know all things. We don't know all things of the world, let alone the Word of God. But we know what we need to know. So we've been given. Then he says, verse 4, through which he has given to us the greatest and most precious promises. And that's what I mentioned a bit ago. And with those promises, we have everything given to us that we should need to be faithful. I mean, to back out, 
on what God has shown us when he opened our mind? It's unthinkable. It should be unthinkable to us because, you know, it, things go through our mind. When you go through 40, 50 years, things go through your mind many times. And things come up in our life, trials. Some trials are very hard. Now, God made plain as soon as he called me, one of the first things was, you are going to have to go through trials. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to go through them. Well, God knows why. He has to keep us on the road to salvation. And so we're given those promises. Well, let's go over to Ephesians. And we'll see what Paul says parallel to this. And a, li a little bit more. In the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. Because... And, and listen to the similarity here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, that's God the Father, to the saints, to the things, the ones of that same precious faith, grace and peace, that is the message, because that's what we are working toward and looking forward to. But God has promised us peace now, hasn't he? You go through the scriptures, what does he say? You do what I say, and you will have peace. And he didn't mean just in the future. He means even in this life. And you think back how your life was turned upside down. Oh, yes, some of it right away was a test. But what was the rest of it? Especially when you, day after or whatever, you look back. And you realize how much God had already blessed you by obeying him through the test you just went through. And that is a very real thing. We can get peace that way. It says, be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Isn't that ring a bell? It's a little different wording, but it's the same thing. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly things with Christ. Same message. But what does verse 4 say? In verse 4, I have emphasized so many times when I have spoken to different people. It is not of us. It absolutely is not of us. It could not have been of us. God the Father had to start the ball rolling for everything to take place after that. And as it says right here, according as he, the Father, has personally chosen us for himself. Now, he has chosen us. He selected us. We do not know why he selected us. We know he wants first fruits into the kingdom of God. We know that. But why us? We don't know. But I'm going to ask him. <laughs> I'm going to ask him one day, and he will tell me. All right? If I'm faithful. Right? And you can say that for yourself. But 
he has personally chosen us for himself. Now, what does that imply? What, well, what does it indicate? It more than implies. God has a purpose for us. Yes, to become first fruits. That is, that is absolute throughout the New Testament. It is all written to us first. It will apply to people later, but it's written to us. All right? But to himself, well, he has, he has something in mind that we are to do as first fruits. Because very soon here we're going to see how God looks at us now and what he calls us now. And, and that, that will make the point. So I, I won't go on through that. But he has predestinated us for sonship to himself. Again, to himself. So for God's own very purpose is why he selected us. And we don't know all the details of that. But we're going to find out if we're faithful. We're going to find out. And we're going to be involved in it, and it's going to be something fantastic out of this world. So, there. Now, I want to go to First Peter chapter 2. And I want, I want to go uh, through a few verses here. Chapter 2. Therefore, having put away all wickedness and all deceit and hot hypocrisy, Jealousy, slander, all of that, much more. Having put it away, that's what we have had to do when God called us. As newborn babes, and that's, what are we? You read First Corinthians, we know what we are, and what we were, and what we still are in many ways. We're nobody in this world. The world doesn't know we exist, Really? Oh, some of the people we know do, but beyond that, nothing. So we're like newborn babes. He says, yearn after the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow. Grow in what? We'll grow in godliness. Isn't that what our assignment now is? We are to grow in godliness, because how can we do something for God if we don't grow more like him. All right? He says, If you yourselves have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. And then he's addressing Christ. He says, To whom, Christ, coming as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, and how he was, but chosen by God and precious. Because Christ was faithful. Christ led the way. Christ is our elder brother, when you get right down to it. And that's the way God looks at it. He is our elder brother. That's what we are to become, is Christ's brother. And we are to be like him. And so, verse 5. You, and then he readdresses. He readdresses right to you and me. Right to us. And he says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. We are being built up. We are 
we are going through school big time. And we're having to do things God's way. We're learning how to do things God's way and to prepare for that purpose that the Father has for us. All right? A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to the Father. That's part of what we're going to be doing. And in actuality, in preparing for it, we can do that. To some degree, we can do that. A holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It all goes through Jesus Christ. After the Father selected us, after he called us, and we responded, entered into covenant with him, then as Jude shows, he gave us to Christ to further teach and tutor and to work with and to make intercession for us to the Father whenever Satan accuses us. He says, look, see what he did, just like Satan did there to Christ in Job, Job 1. You've read that many times. That's what he does to us every time we mess up. And how many times was it Satan's inspiration? We don't know for sure because we also have human nature, right? But we know that Satan is deeply involved. And I think personally, I think that we really don't understand the depth that Satan affects us as we go through our daily life. But he does. So, for this reason, it says in the scripture, Behold, I place in Zion the cornerstone, that's Christ, chosen and precious, and the one who believes in him shall never be put to shame. Remember, believe is a very key word. And when you go deeply into the Greek meaning of that word, it's every bit of it. It's absolute dedication to God and to Christ. And that's what we must be as we go through our time of judgment. And he says, verse 7, the preciousness is to you. Therefore, who believe? But to those who don't, well, watch out, because the stone, that cornerstone is going to grind them to powder. And we don't want to be a part of that. Because our end would be worse than their end that is coming. Because we believe. We believe. So our end is different. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I want you to see a little something here that really hit me the other day. And you know the story of Israel. And we'll get to three months after, you hear in a minute, three months after Christ had brought them out of Egypt, where he deliberately put them for that time that they had to go through that. And then he had to rescue them, and that's why he put them there. He wanted them to know he was God in no uncertain terms. The rest of the world did not know that. They didn't have a clue. But they did know that Israel was a people with a different God. They knew that. And that's why 
They had to go through so much in their, our ancestors of Israel. They had to go through so much. But right here in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verse 6, he says to Israel, For you are a holy people to the Lord, to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people, what? Just like us, to himself. He chose Israel in the same way that he has chosen us. It's for his own purpose for us and for them back then, to himself. So it's for whatever he wanted them to do, and that was mainly to be a witness that he was God to all the heathen around, to all those other nations, Philistines, you name it, that were the enemies of God's people. And he would then be for them, and he would do some devastating things to those around to get their attention and let them know, yes, yes, he was the true God. And so that's the way it was. But then let's go then to Exodus the 19th chapter. It adds a little bit here that is absolutely mirrored back here in Peter. Okay? Verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Oh, yes. And how I brought, bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Again. God is in charge of his people He's in charge of us today. Many of us are remnant of the forefathers, Israelites. But whether we're Gentiles grafted in, doesn't matter. Once you're grafted in, you're part of the trunk of the tree or the vine. All right? Verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Didn't we read this back here in Peter? Same thing. That's what he said of Israel. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which he spoke to them. You see, what we are now, what is that? What is that? Uh, it show what we are. Again, God called us for a purpose. He knows the purpose. He knows it clearly. Now, that purpose starts now because of the way we're going to see. He speaks of us now as his sons and daughters. He says, you are the sons of God. Well, you know, we're still in the flesh. But our life was turned upside down when he called us and a short time later then, the power of his very Holy Spirit from Christ and the Father came into us when we entered into covenant. Now, once that spirit was within us, Paul makes that, he writes so much about that. Our life, we're different then. We're different unless the unthinkable of turning back and spurning that calling, which we can never do, brother. We know that. But it's like 
Some say, well, we have a choice. You bet we do. God makes sure we have a choice. Like people even in the world, we have a choice. But I always say, I don't have a choice because that's what it seems like to me because I know the end. You say, I understand the end. If I turn back from that, it's over. It is over. Now, all those people around us out there in the world, is it over for them? No. They have never entered judgment. They have never had their mind open that they could be under the true judgment of God under which we have been. And we have been for several decades, most of us. And so, for us, it is different. It is completely different. And so, in First Peter here, let's go back to chapter 2, First Peter. And let's pick it up again in verse 6. For this reason it says in the scripture, Behold, I place in thine the cornerstone chosen and precious, and the one who believes in him shall never be ashamed. And we are working to not be ashamed. The preciousness is then to you, therefore, who believe. But to those that disobey, and I've covered that. So down in verse 9. But you, he says again. Peter says to you and me. You are a chosen stock, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for a possession of God. You see, that's it. It started with God. We were nothing. He drew us to himself. And everything here forward is the same way. God leads the way. He starts the ball rolling. Christ picks it up and he works with us and he is there for us constantly. And when we get off of the main, from the center line of the highway to the kingdom of God, he'll nudge us, he'll nudge us until we come back on, on the main road. We come off of the shoulder, no matter how far over the shoulder you went, unless you just go all the way down and you say, no, I don't want it. And again, that's unthinkable. Therefore, Christ is there for us. And so we're chosen. We're chosen by God that you might proclaim his excellent virtues. That you might proclaim his excellent virtues. That's part of our assignment by our very actions in our witnessing whatever small way we can at the present time. By obeying God, we are adding to God's glory. Because look, when all of the people of the earth are finally going God's way, even the first part of it in the millennium, isn't that adding glory to God? He says so in his word. You go to the right scriptures. Who called you, that's the Father, out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's exactly what he did. We were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. You see that change that I have tried to emphasize. We have been changed. We have not yet received the fullness of that. 
But we have been changed. Absolutely. Well, let's go to, well, one of my favorite places, Romans. Romans. It's very short distance away, right? We'll go to Romans 8. There is so much in this. We can go to verse 28. And you've read this many times, and it is so applicable in trying to understand why God called us and what his purpose for us is. Okay, we'll, we'll learn more of that later when God reveals it. But we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. What does John say? And it's Christ speaking. But he says, if you love me, keep the commandments. Obey my voice. That's plain enough to understand. So all things will work together for good for us to those who are called according to the Father's purpose. Okay? Because those whom he did foreknow, he also predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son. Christ, our elder brother, we're to conform to his image, and we know all of that. So, I want to... Fred usurped me last week, but that's okay, Fred. That's... that's <laughs> and so, uh, because it always bears reading again. All right. So, in First John chapter 3... A very, very... Behold, verse 1, what glorious love the Father has given to us. He loved us before we loved him. We were nothing. That we should be called the children of God. And there you are, you see. That's the way God looks at it unless we turn back. We are his children. For this very reason, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. And then... Beloved, even though we don't know for sure what we will be, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we will literally be. We won't know until that great moment on that great day. But we know when he is manifested, we shall be like him because we will literally finally see God face to face. Now, that that would just blow us away right now. But hopefully, when that time comes, well, I know that time comes and we are faithful, it will not blow us away. It will descend us like a rocket right straight up. You know, it's going to be something. It is really going to be something. Now, with that kind of testimony from all of God's Word, how can we ever, ever think of abdicating? I mean, we can't. We know God. We love God. That's why we're still here. We were called a long time ago. You know, 60-some years. I mean, in for puny little man, that's quite a while. Quite a while. Some of you, yeah. <laughs> Who was I talking? Oh, yeah, were well, you, Kip? 17 years younger than me, you're just a youngster. <laughs> but anyway, 
we have to go forward. We see unparalleled things. We have to draw close to God and focus on that. But to not get off guard by not paying attention to what is happening. Because we have to do that. We have to keep it in mind. Every time then where we do anything, we have to realize we can get in trouble if we do the wrong things or go through the wrong places even. And so we can do that much. Now we're trusting God when we go out the door if we prayed to him in the morning, right? But we can do our part. So brethren, we have a job still to do. We have not arrived, as Paul said at one place. And yet in another place, he says, I know. I know there's a crown laid up for me. We should have that same confidence if we're close to God. And that's what it is. We have to be close to God. So brethren, keep up the good work.